Time now for another edition of our Pats from the Past podcast. Matt Smith without Brian Morey. Sorry that Brian couldn't be here, but we're thrilled to be in Columbia, South Carolina, and the hospitable David Patton is our guest. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey. And thank you for letting us be here. <laughs> hey, man, the pleasure is all mine. I'm just excited to, to be given this opportunity just to to reminisce a little bit and just share where I am today. So. Well, so let's start with that because I think Patriots fans want to know. We're here in Columbia, uh, South Carolina, and uh, we are in the AWOL ministry. So tell Patriot fans, what are you doing today? Well, uh, AWOL is an acronym for a, a way of life, and uh, it's a spiritual ministry. Uh, but I, I focus on... Uh, uh, the the art of living, or uh, not not so much as stressing and emphasizing religion, because I was I was always raised uh, to be a strong man of faith, and just over the years I, I saw that you know it seems like religion's done more harm than good. So the premise has kind of been you know to focus on uh, you know the expectation that God just wants us all to have a better way of life. So that's kind of what the ministry represents. Uh, we try to stress and emphasize that no matter what walk of life, what you're doing, uh, uh, just be be all that you can be to the glory of God. And that's kind of that's kind of what what the ministry uh, stands for. We're going to get into that in a lot more detail later on. But um, why was that something that interested you? Why well, was that a path that you decided to choose? Well, like I said, uh, I was raised in the church. Uh, uh, as from from a baby, uh, I mean, growing up, growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, you know, it was it was work, football, and church, and um, you know, along the way, we all we all have our wayward days. Uh, throughout my college days, I, I turned my back on God, and I believed that early on, God shut the doors to my dream of playing in the NFL. And once I got my act together and got back in right relationship with Christ. Uh, I know for a fact that God opened the door, and that's how I made it to the NFL because uh, I actually made it to the NFL a year out of college, and I had worked for a coffee bean factory, and I was working on that job, which was a strenuous job, so I really couldn't even work out. And I went to the University of South Carolina's pro timing day, and I got picked up by the New York Giants from that workout a year off working in a coffee bean factory and not even training. But what took place over that over the course of that year, uh, I, I had a come to Jesus moment. Uh, I, I got back on track. I rededicated my life to Christ, and and I believe that God fulfilled my my lifelong dream. And you know, once I once I made it to the NFL, there were there are so many distractions and there's so many things that you can get caught up in. I made a, a commitment to God that if he if he kept me. And, and, and blessed me with a 10-year career that I would dedicate to him when I retired, not knowing that I would be called to the ministry along the way, but I was. And so just when I retired, man, uh, I just felt the calling to, to, to get out here on my own and, and start a work from scratch. Uh, as you can see, you know, we're, we're, we're at the, the bottom level. We're, we're establishing the foundation of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a long, hard journey. It's, it's tough work, but it's very rewarding because... I, I think we find the truth in the places, uh, the secret places, the places where there's not a lot of notoriety, there's not a, a lot of attention. So you, you tend to find out just who you are. And although it's been a, a, a tough couple, last couple of years, everyone dealing with COVID, 
just having strong faith in God and trusting that no matter how, how difficult it is, uh, no matter how difficult it may be, uh, it's, it's been a blessing and it's been rewarding and God has kept us through that. So that's what I, I, I feel kind of, it was the commitment that I made to Christ to commit to him, but I was called to the ministry and I just felt like, you know, starting a, starting a new work. And that's how, that's how we, we, we got here. So I want to go back to what you said, um, how you got into the NFL, because I think there's this urban myth out there, and maybe it's me, maybe it's others, you know, they hear the story about Kurt Warner. Oh, Kurt was working in a grocery store, packing, uh, you know, bagging groceries and things like that, and somehow he got his way in, into playing football. Let's, you were working on a coffee bean truck. Were you hauling beans on a <laughs> coffee bean truck? Was it, what was the job? It, it was a, it was a, a factory. And, and I, I think the factory was responsible for, you know, several different types of foods. But I worked in the coffee bean section, and the, the responsibility of our job was to load four 18-wheeler trucks, truck trailers of 375, 75-pound coffee bean bags. And it was a lot of, basically like, uh, uh, I used to equate it to uh, hang cleans, because you, you're snatching from the ground and then... You, your partner throws the bag, you have to control it. Then the next set, you throw the bag. So I did that for a year's time. And and I think that that's what kind of increased my explosiveness because, I, you know, I was a typical, you know, I was generally fast for, 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 for that point in my life. You know, when I was in college, I ran like a 4-4-5, four, four, a mid-4-5 range. But after working in the, in the coffee bean factory for that year, and, and going to the um, University of South Carolina's Pro Timing Day, I ran a 4.27 that day, not even training. So I, I think that was a little bit of the blessing of the Lord and, 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 the, and the work I was doing. So when you get to New England, do you ever say to Mike Wojcik, who was your strength and conditioning coach when you started in New England, <laughs> hey, I've got an exercise program that maybe we should get these guys on. We're going to take 75-pound coffee bags throw them to each other, it's a pretty good workout. Did you suggest that to him? Well, I didn't, I didn't think about that at the time, <laughs> but I, I will tell you this. I, I'll never forget this story I tell my kids all the time. One day I felt so good going into work, and I was one of those players. I never really boasted about uh, having the greatest skill set or being the most dominant player, but what I would put up against anybody was my work ethic. I, I, I really love to train. I love to practice. And one day it was all-season program, and I went in, and I, I said, Mike, I feel so good today. I'm going to make you quit blowing the whistle. <laughs> and I, I, I ran so many sprints that day, he literally had to stop blowing the whistle because I, I never would stop. And, and the thing about it, I was, a, I was an eight-year vet at that time. So the problem was, and the reason I believe he, he stopped blowing the whistle was because all the young guys had to keep running because they weren't going to let me outdo them. So, you know, it was a little culmination of how many sprints I ran that day and then you know, looking out for the younger guys. <laughs> How do you think you got on the Patriots and maybe specifically Coach Belichick's radar? Because in 2001, he was in the second year of his program. Were you a free agent at that time, David? Is that how you got on their radar? Were you, were, were you unsigned at the time? Well, I, when I started out, I started out on four one-year free agent contracts. And the Patriots were actually going to sign me my third, uh, my fourth year. But what happened was at the time, because I had played on three one-year minimum, minimum base contracts, 
the only team that offered me some signing some signing bonus money was the Cleveland Browns, which was fifty thousand dollars. So at that time, I felt like that was a lot of money, and at the time, I, I needed to make as much money as I could. So I opted to go to the Browns over the Pats because the Pats were just going to bring me in as a free agent. So uh, throughout the over the course of that next year. The, the Browns wanted to sign me to a three-year extension, but I ended up hurting my toe and my, my production kind of fell off, so they took the contract, the extension off the table. So the following year came around, Cleveland was going to bring me back as a free agent, but then the Patriots offered me a 50000 signing bonus. Long story short, once I get into training camp, uh, Bill told me, he told me up front, he said, David, you come here, uh, we're going to give you $50,000 to sign, and you're going to have a legit chance to play and be a starter. So when I get there, they signed Charles Johnson, Torrance Small, Birdie Mamie. So you got you got three 10-year-plus high-production receivers, and here I am, the, the fourth-year guy, and I don't have that many stats. So I'm like number six or seven on the depth chart. And when I get there, you know, I'm, I'm feeling some type of way. I'm kind of in the tank. And Charlie was like, no, David, we bought you here. We know you're going to make the team because you're going to be our kick returner and you're going to play receiver for us. I said, but I, you know, I thought I was going to have a chance to be a starter. Well, two weeks in the camp, I had played so well. Bill called me out of the meeting. And, you know, during training camp, you don't want to get caught out of a meeting because it ain't too many times. That's a good thing. But he calls me out of the meeting. I grabbed my playbook, and they told me to grab my playbook. So I'm thinking I'm getting that, ready to get that's, released. That's not good news. Jeremy. Exactly. Right. And I, I go into the meeting, and Bill's like, well, Dave, you know we told you we were going to give you an opportunity to be a starter here. Well, you performed so well. I just want to know what it would take to uh, sign you to a three-year extension. And the rest is history. So you're looking around at that scene. You, you're brought in. You think you're going to be a starter. You're right. I mean, I think Patriot fans looked at that 2001 team, and they're going, okay, Charles Johnson, Bert Emanuel, who's David Patton, Torrance Small. They knew who Troy was, but they really didn't know there was all these other guys were you in competition with them, did you think, in training camp? Were you trying to judge yourself based on what they were doing? Or were you just saying, I'm going to worry about me and let the chips fall where they are because I know what I can do? Well, that's kind of always been the mentality, you know, only worry about what you can control. But I knew what I was told that I would have the opportunity to be a starter. And, and by the time we get to training camp, you've got three, you know, pros who've who've put in at least 10 years. So needless to say, you're just going to think that, you know, well, maybe they're going to get the nod over me. But it, it goes back, to, it comes back, it all comes down to what you do when you get your opportunity. And every opportunity that I got to make a play, I did that. And, and you know, I, I beat all those guys out. And I, I believe uh, Troy and I, we ended up being the starters that year. I think Charles Johnson ran number three. Do you remember Freddie Coleman? Uh, and Freddie Coleman was like the special teams number six. He had a big catch against the Jets. That's at the right. Jets yeah, that's, I think it was the only, but it was a huge play that set up, I think, the game-winning field goal, if I exactly. remember. Exactly, right. and it couldn't happen to a better guy because right. he, was, he was like one of those high-personality guys. Yeah. So, so here you come, new team, new situation. Okay, they got this entrenched guy quarterback. He's been around for a long time, big gun. I'm your go-root guy. He's going to be able to throw it to me. When he goes down, David... What were you thinking? What were you thinking when Drew went down? I had played that entire uh, uh, preseason with Tom Brady on the third team offense. So who are we, who are we going up against in, in training camp? 
the number one defense. And I can tell you, we gave number one the, the number one defense problems, Tom and I. And I'm telling you, Tom, if if you didn't know uh, Drew Brees, I mean uh, uh, Drew Bledsoe was the the hundred million dollar quarterback at that time, you would have thought Tom was the starter. Just just his leadership style. I mean, his composure, the plays, the throws that he made uh, in practices. So when when Drew uh, gets knocked out of the game against the Jets, and I see Tom running into the game, it's like in my mind it was in slow motion. I was like, oh, we're getting ready to go because we had already had so much chemistry. And when he comes in, you know, everyone knows the, the story. Well, I, I'll say it like this. He wasn't what he is today. He, is, he wasn't the 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 350-yard, 400-yards-a-game uh, 400 quarterback. But at that time, he was the big play quarterback when we needed a big play, when we needed a big throw. Because a, a good game for Tom at that time was, was you know, 195, 185 yards, 215, because we ran a lot of uh, quick screens, you know, underneath routes and things like that. But when he came in, I just – I really felt like we were really getting ready to – well, it, it, at the very least, I knew he wasn't going to fall off any. And I think you described his first game. So here come the Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning. They're going up and down the field, scoring on everybody. I think Brady threw for 180 yards. Antoine Smith had a big game. Both Otis and Ty returned touchdowns, for, uh, returned interceptions for touchdowns that game. You scored 40-something points and beat the Colts, beat them pretty badly. That's what your team was, right? That's like right. It, You're not based – it's not Tom throwing 350. It's getting something out of special teams. Your defense scores, that's certainly going to help. Run the ball, control the clock. Don't throw it to the other team. And that's what Tom did then, didn't he? Exactly. And I think that, you know, when it's all said and done and, and Tom, Tom is sitting in this chair and, and, and he's uh, reminiscing about his, his beginning days, I think that Tom has a, a, a great respect for that Patriots team that won the first three championships because he wasn't the 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 GOAT. He wasn't the perennial 350 quarterback. It was total team effort. It was total team's win. And and a defensively heavy uh, 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 a defensive heavily team. So uh I think Tom when we had the um the reunion for the first three championships he really showed a lot of respect for us because it was his younger days and, and we kind of took up the slack for him, you know, while he waited to develop. So, so I mentioned quickly about the indie game at home three weeks later, it was pretty close back to back. I can't remember exactly. You played indie there. And, and we were talking before this happened that day. And just to remind fans, you did something that has only happened three times in the history of the national football league. You ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, and caught a touchdown in the same game. Now, other guys have done that throughout their career and different things like that, but only three guys have done it in the same game. And the company that you keep are two Hall of Famers. The great Walter Payton did it in 1979. You became the second player to ever do it in 2001. And then LaDainian Tomlinson did it in 2005. When you hear your name in that company, what do you think? <laughs> Well, initially, um, I'm very humble because I wasn't aware of that. But when I think about it and, you know, when I'm teaching my kids and, and, and when I'm talking uh, to other young people, it, that's just it. 
everyone can't be the the all American. Every every player can't get the accolades. Every player can't make it to the Hall of Fame. But to say that I did something that two Hall of Famers did, you know that that that's really humbling and that makes me feel pretty good because that's just it. When I when I was given my opportunities, I always felt like I could be an 80 catch, 90 catch receiver any given season. But that just wasn't my role. I was a down-the-field receiver. I think uh, when you look at my stats, I averaged like 14.9 yards per catch. So I was the receiver that they counted on to go down the field. So Bill didn't want to put me in a lot of situations where I was, where I was catching uh, underneath routes, across the middle, getting banged up because, you know, I, I'm not a big a big guy. But, but to... to to be mentioned in in, 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 in in that company makes me feel really good because I, I, I've got great respect. Uh, Walter Payton is one of my childhood idols. And I played, I think I played maybe my last, uh, uh, the first three, four years with LaDamian Thompson. And he was a phenomenal player. So, you know, that's something I can, I can kind of rest my laurels on knowing that now. We're going to talk more about that game later on, but I wanted to advance a little bit in the 01 year. I remember talking to Teddy Bruski and Willie McGinnis, and they disagreed. Willie feels pretty strongly. I think Lawyer said the same thing. You lost to the Rams like uh, almost at about the three-quarter mark of that season. Ironically, that would be the last loss you guys had as a team that year. Lawyer says, he goes, look, nothing good ever comes from a loss. It, there's no good that comes out of a loss. But did you guys felt like, you know what, we went toe-to-toe with these guys, and if we see them again, we can beat them? Do you share that same feeling? No no question about it. Because in that game, we, we like to say in the NFL, every game can, can be lost, and every game can go either way because you have that, that, that type of parity. But in that game, I forget, I forget what the final score was, but what I do remember is that we went score for score. We couldn't stop them, and they couldn't stop us. So by the time we get to the Super Bowl that year, I mean, our confidence was really high because we remembered that week. And we felt like if we had just a little bit more time, we would have won that game. So going into the Super Bowl, when no one else other than our fans and us believed that we would beat the greatest show on, on turf, we really had a strong confidence that we were we were just as much the favorites as 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 the Rams, and you see what you see what the result was. So you know, kid who grew up in South Carolina played. Where you went to Western Carolina? Is that where you went to school? Yes. I can't imagine that there was much snow in a football season when you were playing. So here we come to the divisional round of the playoffs. The first time you've been in a playoff game, I would assume. You know, this is going to, in all likelihood, be the final game at Foxborough Stadium, and it's snowing to beat the band. What were your thoughts when you got to the stadium and saw, uh-oh, we got to play in this? <laughs> well, as a receiver, you hate inclement weather because nine out of ten times you know it's probably going to be a, 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 a run-heavy type of attack. But something just, something was just in the air that night. You know, when when the stadium's covered in snow, it's an old stadium, and, and the Raiders are coming in out of, out of Oakland, California. We felt like we had the advantage. We had the edge because worst-case scenario, 
this is what we're accustomed to. This is what we used to, we, we we practice in this all the time, and and these guys are coming out of uh, Oakland, California. You know, uh, sun uh, sunny days. We just felt like that was an advantage for us. And once you get into that game, definitely the the advantage goes to the offense. So uh, it's playoffs, man. You 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 don't you don't look at anything as negative because. You, you just want to think that you're going to be victorious. You're going to do whatever it takes to get the, the victory. And the way that game comes down to it, I believe we won that game by three points. And the controversial uh, call at the end of the game, you know, is a part of the game, but it is what it is. It, it went our way. But uh, it was one of the one of the, the greatest games. And, you know, you talk about offense having the edge in, that, in those conditions, and I agree with you. But there wasn't a lot of offense, especially for the Patriots, through three quarters of the game. Tom scored to get it close. The tuck rule happens. Adam has what everybody agrees is the greatest kick in the history of the NFL. 48 yards, nobody can see it. It goes through, gets you into overtime. But at that point in time, it looked like the offense was clicking. You had a huge game. Like, Tom really looked to you. You were moving the sticks in that game. It looked like as the game wore on, you were getting more confident. Is that a fair way to look at it? No doubt about it. Uh, Tom came in. I think it was pretty tight. We struggled a little bit in the first half. But after halftime, Tom Brady, I think it's on the greatest games to glory. It's a clip where Tom comes. He goes down the bench, and he talks to all of us receivers. And he's like, hey, guys, I need the best routes you guys have. Chief, I need your best comeback routes. And that's just the, that's, that's the impact Tom had because of the way that he trained. He, he really, he literally tried to get faster. He tried to, to, to compete with us speed guys. He did all the speed drill works because he just wanted to get better in all areas. So when, when your leader comes to you and, and tells you, I need the best comeback routes you've got, it just goes to another level, and that's what I was—that's what I was alluding to when I said that, you know, in that type of game with inclement weather, we on the offense, we have the advantage because we know where we're going. So if you remember that game, I believe I had like 110 yards, and I think I was the leading receiver for that game, and I had like eight catches. Popped up out of the snow, emphatic. You—you you weren't <laughs> a very demonstrative guy, but the vision in my head is coming out of the snow, big first down point, right? You remember that exactly, because. The half of those routes and half of those completions, I was slipping down, falling down. But I had the advantage because I knew where I was going. So the defender, he was slipping as well. So so it, it, it just was a part of it, man. And, and, you know, Tom made the big throws, and I was able to come down with him. How? When the snow is beating you in the face and it's, you hate, really, you hate snow because snow kind of sticks to your gloves and it makes your gloves kind of slick. But the ball was just sticking, you know. It, it, was, it, was, it was meant to be. I'm a long time I'm native New Englander, basically, David. And um, when I hear somebody say Chief, I'm a big Celtics fan, and I think of Robert Parrish. A lot of people in Boston think Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish was the Chief, great Hall of Fame center for the Boston Celtics. How did David Patton get the nickname Chief? <laughs> well, I was the Chief. Everywhere, everywhere I played, I guess no one really likes the name David, or they say when you're pretty cool, you get nicknames. Every team I played for, every level I played on, no one ever called me by my name David. They always came up with some type of nickname. 
uh, Roadrunner, I think it started out with the New York Giants. Then it, then it moved to Creatine Bob because I was I was uh, really ripped because I was taking Creatine as a sub uh, uh, a supplement. So they call me Creatine Bob. Then when I get to New England, I, I believe Tom Tom started calling me Chief because being being raised in in country South Carolina, Columbia South Carolina, my my father he calls everyone Chief. And I always struggle with people's names. So I'd be like, Chief, let's get it. It's a good day. Let's go, Chief. So Tom just, it kind of, I guess it fit because I, I, I was one of the, the work ethic guys, you know. Uh, I used to always run 10 go routes at the end of every practice with Tom. So I guess that kind of stood out to him. So he just started calling me Chief. And it kind of just stuck from there. And everyone started calling me, calling me that. And it, it kind of just, it, it, it followed me throughout the league. So you talked earlier about, you know, that you and Tom had developed some really nice chemistry and camaraderie in training camp. AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh, and Tom goes out, and I think in either the end of the first quarter or the second quarter, here comes Drew off the bench, hasn't played a lick. Um, gets whacked on the sideline on that touchdown drive. But talk about the play where he throws it where there's only one guy that's going to catch the ball there. And talk about that play because you didn't really have an opportunity to develop chemistry with Drew did you well throughout the throughout the course of the year you know everyone is going through practice and it's always the the next man up mentality and Tom I mean uh Drew he he was he he, he was already used to being the man so he just had to come back in and and do what he did and um I never forget running that route I think it was a a, a corner route and I was the ins I was the inside slot guy to the right side, and coming out of the break, and I, I remember coming around, and I saw him. I saw the ball actually leave his hand. I was like, "Oh, I'm getting ready to score this touchdown." And Drew Drew just had he he had he had a touch on the ball. I, I think I think between the two two of those guys, I would say Tom had the stronger arm, but Drew just had a. He had a knack for patting the ball and, and like just flicking it out there. So, you know, it's the old adage: it doesn't matter who's in the game, it doesn't matter what the situation is. You have uh, uh, you have one responsibility: that's to do your job, get open, and, and catch the ball. And that's what we did. There's a lot of similarities, and you're going to correct me and tell me I'm wrong, and that's fine. But it seems to me there's a lot of similarities between that play. Maybe it's just because it's that side of the end zone. Maybe it's the fact that you're up in the air like that. Because you were it, very similar. The Pittsburgh catch for a touchdown and the St. Louis catch in the Super Bowl seems very similar. But they're not similar plays, are they? Not at all. And and I think everyone kind of gets those two plays mixed up, thinking that they are the same. Right. Because they were in the same area. But that the the, the touchdown uh, versus the Steelers was a, was a, a deep corner, inside deep corner route. And then the, the touchdown in the Super Bowl was an out and up. And I'll tell you a, a, a quick story about that. That was supposed to be a quick out. And the inside receiver was supposed to be running the corner route, the, the, the touchdown catch against the Steelers. But we were playing against, uh, I believe it was Dexter McLean. And he was an overly aggressive corner because he wasn't really fast, wasn't 
really physical, but he was just really smart, and he, he got a lot of jumps. He could he could read keys really well. And Charlie and, and Bill on the walkthrough in in the Saturday practice where we only out there 30 minutes. Uh, Charlie just at the last moment he said, "Bill, I think we need to." Or maybe it was Bill. Yeah, it was Bill. Bill said, Charlie, I think we need to make that an out and up because we know uh, Dexter McLean likes to sit on routes and we're inside the 10 yard, so we're inside the 10-yard line. So if we get inside the 10-yard line, let's change the out into a quick out and up to take advantage of him jumping on the quick out. And and so it was in the same uh vicinity of the end zone, but one route was an out, out and up, and uh, the the touchdown against the Steelers was a a deep corner. So you put this play in the, ro- the walkthrough on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. You don't practice it. You've never practiced the play. We, we walked through it. You walked through it, but you didn't practice it. For- and so it comes into the huddle and Tom calls it. What's going through your mind? Oh, I'm getting ready to score. The I didn't know it was going to be the only offense touchdown, but I just <laughs> knew I was going to score because Dexter McLean was a really aggressive cornerback, and I, I just knew the play was going to work. But when... When the ball actually came, Tom put it on the – he put it high and outside to the back corner. And I think when I came out of the the up portion of the, the, the route, I was more to the inside as opposed to the back pylon. I was I – was, I remember thinking in my mind because I it was all slow motion. It's like you're watching television, uh, remember the Titans or something, and it's, the, it's a, a key moment in the game. But it's all in slow motion. I'm like, oh, he missed me. I was like, I still got to, you know, make it look like I'm going to try to get to it. And I just kept going up, and and when the ball hit my hands, if you if you look at the picture, it was a, a it was a, a the uh, the panorama view in the sports uh, Sports Illustrated. So the, the picture that takes up the whole magazine. I'm catching the ball. The ball is like actually on the the, the on the inside of my fingers. So it's kind of it's it's a it's a funky catch. Nine out, nine other times I probably dropped the ball, and I, I was able to hold on to it and drag my toes uh, on the back power line, so. I think when Ty intercepted the ball, it's like you stunned the Rams with like a pretty good right cross and wobbled their knees a little bit. When you score with under 30 seconds to play or less to go in the halftime and you go in 14 to three, what was the feeling? Because I don't think, other than the 53 of you guys, Nobody thought you were going to win. When you're going in 14-3, to just scoring before the half, what was the thinking like when you did that? Because at that point in time, I think the country went, uh-oh, we got something going on here. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. I, I definitely believe that that's when we, we let everyone else know that we were the real deal. But as far as ourselves, I know me personally, I had so much confidence going up against them because of how we played them in the regular season game. I'll never forget, man, throughout the course of the, uh, that week preparing for the Super Bowl, Bill had us line up five yards past the line of scrimmage to, to simulate their speed. And he told those guys, listen, I don't care. I want you roughhousing. I want you holding those guys. When Marshall Falk comes out of the, um, the, the I believe they put Willie on him. They put Willie on whatever side he was lined up on, and and Bill in the middle of one practice, he said, 
Well, I don't care what you gotta do, you know, use a couple of expletives. <laughs> but you better knock this, this guy out. So every play, we played those guys so physical. I think if you were at the, at the beginning of that game, Torrey Holt caught a, 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 a deep goal route on the left side. And to Bucky Jones came and hit him like five yards out of bounds. I don't know if we got the penalty, but that, that was the way we prepared to play him. Bill, Bill, he established in us the mentality that no matter what the outcome of that game, we were going to be more physical than those guys. We were going to let those guys know, hey, you're, you're in a war, you're in a fight. So we, we, we took away their strength. Bill was phenomenal for that, man. I, I'm not just saying he's perhaps one of the greatest coaches just because that's what everyone says now because of all the success that he's had, you know. I don't know if Bill had that much success prior to him getting with with the uh, with the Patriots, but you know naturally, you know you you get the you get the positive comments when you when you have the productivity to go with it, but I can honestly say this this man, I've never been around a better football mind. I, I, he wasn't he wasn't much for uh personality and how to, it's not that he doesn't have personality because Bill has great personality. He's just so focused. He's so he's so dedicated to his responsibility. If if we could all take a page out of his book in terms of focus and commitment, much of us, many of us would be so much better off. And and a lot of times that gets misconstrued as not having a lot of personality. When we went back for the, the, the reunion, man, we had a great time with Bill. I saw a side of him that I really didn't witness much as a player, you know. So, but, but his, his mentality, his, his defensive mentality, his leadership skills, he, he literally had us so prepared going into any game. It, it really didn't even matter that they were the, the greatest show on turf. We just, we knew, we knew how well prepared we were. And he had coached us up so well, he had us believing in ourselves. So, I, I, I mean, I know it probably sounds cliche to say that we knew we were going to win, win that game. I mean, what else, what else you going to say? If you don't think you're going to win, you're probably not on that level anyway. But according to the, the stats and what was going on at that time, the, the feats that they were accomplishing on the field, yes, it was a long shot. But the way we were prepared, the way we were coached, we felt we had just as equal an opportunity to, 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 to be the winner of that game. And yet, after kind of dominating for three quarters, something happens, and, a, and the Rams kind of flick the switch. And you guys are taking body blow after body blow after body blow. It's tied. The infamous should Madden saying they shouldn't you know, play for overtime. You get down the field. Tom masterfully brings the team down. Huge catch by Troy. What was your routine or what was your mentality? You saw the snowball kick when Adam kicked it and you get to overtime and eventually he kicked you guys into the AFC Championship game. When he's going out into the field, what were you doing on the sideline at that point in time as he's getting ready for the kick? I can honestly say I never, I never even thought that he, he ever even had a chance to, to miss the field goal. Now, naturally, he had just as much an opportunity to miss it as he did to make it. But Adam had made so many big kicks after great kicks after great kicks. 
it, it kind of got to the point how we feel with Tom. We feel like we, in any given moment, putting when Tom is put in the, the right position, he's going to make the play. He's going he's gonna to make the team better. And I think that's the way that Adam has established himself as the kicker. He was so good. He was so consistent. He had made so many great kicks. He made the, he made the difficult look easy. And I can honestly say I never thought he was going to miss. Did you watch it? Did you, is you, are you a head-down guy? Let's hear what the crowd has to say. Or do you watch oh, it? I'm, I'm watching it because it, he, he had removed the pressure. Now, the pressure probably was on it for the fans, but we see this every day, day in and day out. We see how he goes about his craft. You know, kickers don't do much in practice, you know, but when it comes time for him to kick his field goals, man, he is dialed in. I'm telling you, he's, he's nailing those things. So he, I know within myself, he had built my confidence in him that I, I just expected it to be so. Um, you were fortunate to be a part of three. You were on the team, the last team that ever went back-to-back. -back. Um, three Super Bowl championships. Your role was different, certainly in 03 and 04. Some because of injury, some because, you know, the roster was changing over, had different guys in there like Dion Branch and everything like that. So maybe this is a loaded question. But was 01 by far and away your favorite memory of those three championships? Y yes, and I will say that because I actually scored in 01. But in actuality, I, I didn't have an opportunity to play in, in, in the 03 Super Bowl against the, the Panthers because I, I, I suffered an injury, I tore my meniscus. But I, I, I trained really hard that offseason. I came back and I won my, my position back as the starting X receiver. So that, that year, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was my second biggest statistical year. It just, it just happened the way that the game plan was. When we went, when we went into the uh, Super Bowl against the, the, the Eagles, we, 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 we put the pressure on them in that they, they, they were a cover two. They were a cover two heavy uh, uh, defensive team, or they would play uh, man coverage. So, but we put the pressure on them. If they if they would come out in man coverage, we we actually had a lot of shots built into that game plan. But they actually came out in a cover two heavy game plan, which is going to always put the advantage to the offense. Uh, with the slot receivers, and that's why Dion gets the MVP for that game because they made a decision to run cover two heavy, uh, a, a cover two heavy defensive scheme, and now Dion is matched up against uh, the nickel uh, cornerback and sometimes linebackers, and good luck with that. And so I, I believe Dion had what 140 something yards on like 16 catches or something like it. What, wasn't it a Super Bowl record at the time? Close to it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the 01 season, David, it's, it's hard to nail it down, but I'm going to ask you and kind of put you on the spot. Well, in a year with so many different memories, you know, Andrewsy and his brothers running out 9-11 with the flags and your game against the Colts and the AFC Championship, the Snowball, the Super Bowl, was there one thing in your mind during that year? What was the one thing that sticks out, if you can limit it to one, that gives you the most joy or gives you the most satisfaction when you look back at that year. You said it. You said you scored in the AFC Championship. You scored the only touch, you, the only offensive touchdown in the Super Bowl that year, Super Bowl 36, the Patriots' first ever Super Bowl. 
was scored by David Patton. Yeah, but I, I don't... I, was it, you know, Adam's kick to get you into over... Like, you guys were dead in the water, man. You guys are dead in the water. The tuck rule happens. You get a new life. The odds of him making that 48-yard field goal aren't very good. You know, there's a lot of people in New England that believe that the tuck rule slash that kick, that's what kicked things off. There are people who prefer the snowball game to the Super Bowl game because that, that was the game that really started the whole thing. But it, it was a game. It, it was an instrumental game where we got beat really bad. And I, I'm, I, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it was that year prior to the Super Bowl or the following year. Didn't we get beat by? I, I, I want to say we we got blown we we got blown out by someone. And, and in 03, you got blown out by Buffalo in the first game of the year. No, there was a game we got blown out, and Bill came in. And, oh, and, Miami at Miami, you got smoked. And wasn't that prior to Bar- the Super Bowl? No, uh, regular season. Well, he came in and buried, buried the, the ball. ball. Miami regular season. Wasn't that in two thousand one? Yes, sir. That that's. That was the instrumental moment for me because I remember, to me, I felt like that's when it turned around for us because not only had that never been done by a coach to me, but but the the meaning of it. I mean, you, you, we, we come into practice, we, we feeling demoralized because you, as a professional player, you, you, you live, you, you get measured every day. I'll never forget I had a coach tell me, we have the greatest job in the world. We, we actually get evaluated on a day-to-day basis. And when after practice, you can go and evaluate yourself as to how successful you were that day. Did you get it done or not? You can literally know that every day. And so to, 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 come, to come in to a, 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 a Monday practice, a Wednesday practice after a demoralizing loss, and you see a big hole at the end of the practice field, you're like, what's going on? And he comes and he, 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 he buries us in the meeting, but then when he goes to bury the ball, he's like, now everything I've said to you guys, everything we messed up in this game, we're burying it right here. And, and we have a chance to start over from this point forward and do something special. I will never forget that. So in a way, David, do you think that that helped? Because I think one of the things that people find so successful about Bill and the program, and it's a program now after 20-some-odd years, is you never get too high after the win, and you never get too low, and the players buy into that, you know? Yeah, we won 31 to nothing this week, but it doesn't matter anymore what we did last week. It matters what we do this week. And maybe did that, watching him say, yeah, you got your butts kicked. You were terrible in that game. But we're going to forget about it. We're going to learn from it, not talk about it anymore, and let's move on to the next week. Is it that kind of short-term memory that helps make a team like that successful? No doubt about it. And think about that, because it's one thing to tell us to tell your players to forget something. But that's, that's, that's not even possible. We can't even forget anything. But it's not we, human nature. I- exactly. But when you tell someone to bury it, now I have a picture. Listen, I'll never lose this memory, and I'm going to feel like doo-doo until I get a chance to get back on that field and, 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 and get back to a win. But I've got to consciously make up in my mind that even though I sucked it up, this past week, 
I got to put that behind me and I got to keep going. I've got to move forward. Man, that's, 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 that's for life. I will, I will never forget that. And, and, and it's interesting that you say that. Bill has established a program. You don't establish programs in the National Football League. You've, you've got millionaires running routes and catching touchdowns and throwing passes and, and protecting the quarterback. How do, you, how do you start a program in the National Football League? But that is what he has done. And when people, when people bring up the, the comparison between he and uh, 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 Coach Saban down at Alabama, to me, that's the difference between Bill and Coach Saban. Bill has done this with grown men. It don't matter where you've been, Antonio Brown, Randy Moss, but when you come to the New England Patriots, you don't, even, you don't have to be told that you've got to change. You just fall in line. It's, 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 it's an underlying understanding. We're great here. We do things one way. We get it done. It matters how you do it, but at the end of the day, just just get it done. That's that's a program. Can you say what other coach will be able to say that they will be able to do that? I'm not saying it won't ever be done again, but that's 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 a tough feat. So I look at you when you say that, and I hear the passion in your voice when you talk about that. You won three, the only the last team that won back to back. Oh, Bill hasn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years. And then the Patriots win three more in five years. When you look back to 01 and know that you were a part, that was the start of it, David. That was the start of it. What does that mean to you to be on the front end of what is, you know, you said it. It's never going to get done again. It's never going to happen again. And you were a part of that, and you were on the front end of it. No matter what, what happens in my life, and... Now where I find myself in ministry, uh, trying to compel people to be better when we live in such an, such an information society, such a techni technological society, it's, it's, it's really tough trying to stress and emphasize faith. And, 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 you know, what we've just gone through with COVID, you know, I find myself in a different, a difficult place now because... Once you make it to the NFL, if you are privileged and you are blessed to be a part of a championship team, it's going to be almost impossible to try to re recreate that in another field. And I've been searching and seeking for that since the day that I've retired. But what I will say, no matter how difficult this walk is, no matter how difficult ministry is, it's what I've experienced playing with the New England Patriots, being a part of that leadership staff, being a part of that team. No matter what degree of success I, I reach off the field or outside of football, no matter how low it goes, I'm always a champion. I'm always a winner. And I think that that's what the Patriots, being a part of the New England Patriots, that, that, that foundational team, the team that won the first three championships in the four years, that will all, I'll, I'll always be mindful that it's not about what you have accomplished, it's not about what you, what you have done or are doing, 
the bottom line is to, is to remain focused and do your job. You, when you walked in, I said you could play. You looked like you could give them at least five snaps. You thought, <laughs> you thought 15, just make sure you spread it out because you'd have a lot of go routes. There's a guy who's maybe around your age, a little bit older or something, he's still doing it. He's going to be 44 in August. Are you surprised that Tom's still doing it and doing it as well as he's doing it? No, I'm not surprised. And this is the reason why. You know, when you, when you play the game, you definitely have a, a, a better, much better uh, perspective than those who, who haven't played the game. Not only uh, does Tom play the most protected position in the National Football League, he is probably his 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 type of play, being a pocket passer, being being a a, a, a sixty attempt quarterback. You know, it it doesn't require a lot of physical wear and tear. Now I know what you're gonna say. What about all the sacks and? What, what about all the, the, the physicality of, of eluding the 290-pound the, the defensive ends and 300-pound tackles? But if you think about it, one of the greatest to ever do it, one of the greatest at that position, I mean, Tom really hasn't been hit that much. So it doesn't shock me that he's still playing this long, particularly the way in which he takes care of himself. The fact that Tom wasn't a high draft pick, the fact that Tom wasn't always the GOAT from the beginning, he's developed, I believe, such a humble mentality that no matter what, what degree of success he experiences, Tom will never forget where he comes from. And I, I say that because when we had the reunion, I hadn't seen Tom in, what, 10, 15 years, and he was still the same guy. What I remember about that reunion, and I was there with you because we produced a TV show around it, is there's David Patton, um, and there's Otis Smith, and there's Lawyer Malloy, and there's Ty Law, there's Teddy Bruschi, Willie McGinnis. In the back of the room, with his scally cap on, almost afraid to be there, he didn't want to take away from you guys. <laughs> Because I, I think Tom remembers that Tom was riding shotgun on that team. That's <laughs> and that was one of the, that's what amazes me so much about him. You're, you're talking about one of the, the most recognizable people in the world. You're talking about one of the most likable people in the world. The only people who hate Tom are his opponents and, and the fans of his opponents' teams, right? But... Tom's pretty well loved. I mean, he's married to a, a, a very pretty lady, uh, the second one. I mean, he's, he's got it going on. And to remain humble, I, I tell you, man, the, the media will always try to manipulate what, what the true character of a person is because the reality is Human nature is jealous. We don't mind. We don't mind people having success, but we kind of hate it when someone has extreme success. We don't like for for someone to be great for an extended period of time, because you start to envy it. 
So I think that that's where I've, I've heard some people say that, you know, Tom's arrogant or he's not humble. I, I've never witnessed a time when I've been with him, when I've, when I've had the opportunity to be around him. And we, I, I, we stay in contact with each other, I would say, up until about five, six years after retiring. And then, you know, life just takes you in different, you know, to a different level, you know. So I haven't talked to him much since, since that point. But we, we kept in contact. He would return my text message. Hey, man, I'm praying for you to have a successful season. Chief, I appreciate that. Man, that, that, means, that means the world because, you know, a lot of people forget where they come from. And I, I don't think that Tom is one of those people. I think he'll, he'll always be respectful and honor that, that first wave of guys that came in and established the Patriot Way. Last one here for me on this is, you know, I, I don't know how easy it is for you. You're down here in South Carolina. You're trying to establish this new career for yourself. And you talked about getting at the ground floor and humble beginnings. And who knows where that's going to take you. But you mentioned what it's like that you were a champion. And nobody can ever take that away from you. I think you got a little chance to see it five years ago when there was the reunion for the 2001 team. And I wonder if you realize, look, your name isn't Tom Brady, or maybe even Teddy Bruschi, or maybe even Willie McGinnis. But in the New England area, David, David Patton's name means something. You know, maybe you're not the household name that those other people are. But when you talk to a Patriot fan and you say the words, David Patton, oh, I know him. Yeah, the game against the Colts. How about the catch against the Steelers? How about the catch against the Rams? What does that mean to you to know that you have a legacy back in New England and Patriot fans will never, ever forget who you are? That, that means a lot, especially when you think about the, the type of people that are in that area, you know, tough people, uh, you know, work ethic people. During, during the tough years, I remember when they used to show the, the, the footage of you know, the years when the, the Pats struggled and the, the fans would come to the games with the, with the bags on their heads. And then when we got there in the 0-1 season and we actually turned it around, you never ran across a fan that, that wasn't genuinely appreciative of it. And so to, 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 to know that my name resonates with them, because I, I think that they, they appreciate they, they appreciate players that come and give their all to the team and to the organization. And I think that that's what means, means the most to me. Because, you know, you, you, you're going to always appreciate the, the great players or the players that have a lot of uh, stats. But so many times I've had fans come to me and say, I really appreciate your career. I appreciate the way that you laid it all on the line. And, that's not always that's that's not always the case. Let's 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 be honest. Sometimes there are, are guys that that you know sandbag and they don't give their all, but then you have those guys that are going to give you their last. And when someone recognizes that, that 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 that's really special. That's our Pats from the Past podcast. David Patton was our guest. David. Thank you so much for your time. Great stories, great information. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Appreciate you guys having me. 
Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.